Welcome to Cooper Talk. I'm your host, Steve Cooper. And remember, I'm only as hip as my guest. I have to tell you something, people. I I never use the Wi-Fi on my phone, but lately my 4G has sort of been sucking in the house. So whenever I put the Wi-Fi on, for some reason, like every app gets updated. I don't know what it is. I don't know how often they do this. And what's crazy about it is like Facebook. I have Facebook. And every day, if I put the Wi-Fi on, it gets updated. And I guess I, you know, I get a little crazy because all of a sudden apps start uh, disappearing from my my de- like my desktop or whatever it's called on the phone. So then I have to sit there for like ten minutes figuring out what app disappeared, and it just pissed me off. So I, I really I don't know about this whole app thing anymore because I, I it gets me frustrated. And then I'm looking like what app is here, and then I always get confused also because I have another app. I have the words with friends, and that looks just like IMDb. And I always sit there when I'm looking for guests. Like my guest today is Mark Polish. I know Mark. Hi, and uh, when like when I when I look you up, I, I sit and I push. Words with friends, actually, because yeah, they're both yeah, yellow, and it gets yeah. me all pissed off. Although words with friends has a new little icon, they have like a jungle or something. Or oh, really? See, yeah, I guess flowers on the side. Now. My my yeah. school, my my phone's too old school, I think. Yeah. So we well, first of all, I want to say we share the same birthday, except I'm oh, we, a few years older than you. Yeah, 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 it's a nice day, huh? That's great. I, I mean, t- everyone always says Halloween, so I get a lot of uh, uh, happy birthdays on Halloween, and I kind of adopted that as kind of a two-day birthday. See, yeah. I hated it. Well, as a kid, I liked it because my mom would always give me like a Halloween themed party. But then the same thing, you get mm-hmm. two days. But then after a while, when you get you start getting older, you're like, I can't really go out and drink every night. Yeah. You know, I can't go out mission night, mm-hmm. but we call it back east mission night mm-hmm. and Halloween. Yeah. So now, now you're you're from California. Yes, I was born and, and raised mostly here in uh very very south on El Centro, California, Calexico by the border. Okay, and then uh. My father was uh, transferred up into the Bay Area, and so I, I was up there till about 17. And then I split time between the Bay Area, Sacramento area, and Montana. Well, I think it's fascinating because, you know, both you and your brother started writing and directing, and it's just mm-hmm. weird because, like, I know twins. My friend mm-hmm. Jeff, uh, has, he's a twin, and, you know, they work at managers at Ralph's. Like, you guys, though, have been, like, have such a – I mean, it's just been cool. Like, as kids, did you start making projects at a young age, or when did you know you wanted to get into this business in some form? Very early, very very early. I I mean, we were exposed to movies quite a bit. Living in the suburbs, you don't you don't have very much uh, opportunity to do much else. I mean, you have sports. You know, you did the soccer and the baseball and the football. But then, uh, as you grew older, and um, we were exposed to uh, you know movies quite a bit. You know, in the the infancy of HBO and cable was in the 70s, so that was being piped into the suburbs. So we were able to be exposed to great filmmaking numerous and repeat, repeatedly uh you know dog day afternoon was on seven eight times a month mad max was on seven eight times a month you know you got these great films so you got exposed to great filmmaking at a young age and it was almost a very young a very uh, early film school where you're exposed and then that as you got into you got your driver's license you know theaters were getting built quite a bit around the area so we you know mike and i would probably like on a friday map out four or five showings of the early things, go and pay for one and then pop off and see five. We'd see the five latest shows. Right. And then the excited one, as we were so excited on the Saturday, we'd bring our friends, see the shows again with them. And then on Sundays, if it was really good, I'd bring my, my, I'd bring my dad or mom to see it. So. What were some of the, those movies when you went to the theater that influenced you? Because I know, you know were, were, they, were you digging the comedies? Because you mentioned, I mean, classics like uh, Dog Day Afternoon and yeah, stuff yeah. like that. But were you bringing comedies or what was it? What was Every, it? Was... Everything. I mean, it was, it was, I was just the love of cinema. It, it, I mean, early on, all the way from, you know, when you're younger, I mean, the impressionable one, Saturday Night Fever, which was impressionable. Um, it was a world I'd never seen before. 
the Godfathers were were big. I mean, I was young. I was seven, eight years old seeing these things with my father. Um, also, was you know, you know, I think I think the biggest one probably I didn't see it in the theaters. The, I mean, the big one that I saw in the theaters probably the Road Warrior because it had been piped in on HBO as Mad Max, and it had been dubbed in HBO. It had been playing that that summer quite often, so I'd watch it probably once a day in the summer. And so when it came out as Road Warrior, I didn't realize it was the sequel. So that was a big impression on, on us as filmmakers was Mad Max. But I think the one that really showed us the craft and the ability of storytelling was probably Once Upon a Time in America. That was a really big influential movie to see something that big and that scope and that to see a story that intricate. And, and, and I think there's three different time periods that it's weaving and to be able to follow that, it, it spoke to us quite a, quite a bit. Now, were both you and your brother in for the love? Did you both go say, hey, this is going to be something we're going to do together? Or, I mean, how did that happen? Cause... No, no. It, I mean, it's, it, it kind of happened more organically than I think we didn't ever set out and say, hey, we're going to be this or the Coen brothers or we're going to be a team filmmaking thing. I was acting quite a bit in high school. I was a lot involved in a lot of the theater productions. And, you know, at that time, the filmmaking or the, getting your hands on the videos, the, you know, the mini uh, cassettes and stuff that was just starting in the late eighties. You were just be able to get into the consumer models of video. So, and plus we didn't really like the quality of the video. So we, we played a little bit with eight millimeter, um, here and there, but, uh, he was more from a fine art background. He was more into the graphic design and he went to college. So I was in acting. And as we got out, as he was graduating from, from school, I was, I was down in actually living in Valencia and I was coming down and auditioning and I was being, I was getting material from an agent that I had. So I was reading, uh, full-length screenplays because I it was really strange I'd get what they were called sides to audition and I didn't understand because I wasn't very trained in the idea I'd look at these sides and it'd be like four pages of a scene I was like well what, what came before what came after what's going on here so I'd go to my agent I'd say is there a way I can get like the full screenplay and they're like well they usually don't give it but I can possibly find it or get it so that was kind of my first exposure to seeing what a screenplay looked like in full form and I'd read it and I'd be you know being naive I'd be like, I think I could I think I can do one of these. I think I can write one of these because I'm definitely not gonna. I'm not gonna carve my way in as an actor, going up against uh, these, you know, going into these rooms with four or five hundred different actors. I'm, you know, the name Polish doesn't really resonate with very many people here. So right. I uh, started writing, and by the time he Michael got out of college, I'd had a screenplay ready, and we'd start. He kind of fell into the director's chair because he was so visual coming out of college, and we kind of in the gaps to each other it was, a, it was a very beautiful collaboration so you start doing that and it must mm-hmm. be just crazy because i know but they always say like twins they think mm-hmm. a lot alike uh-huh. and just it must be like on the set i think it would be sort of weird too because you know if, if an actor is you know acting up it's like well wait i don't have to deal with just yeah, i have to deal with the director mm-hmm. and the writer and and their brothers and their twins and they're both going to give me crap because they yeah. know exactly what each other's thinking what was it like when you started working together like what was yeah. your first project that you sat down and you said hey you know what yeah. we can do this and yeah. did you want to still act yeah i mean first like the probably the first major thing look, we, we we definitely had a shared vision and but i think our strengths came in filling each other's weaknesses he had certain strengths and i had certain strengths and together we had a shared vision, we could really uh, attack a project and a uh, uh, story together that way. Um, I think the probably the first, you know, it's funny, the first time we were really together, we were strapped together as Siamese twins. So we were conjo- we played conjoined twins, and so you really had to take on the double-headed monster at that time. Um, and so we'd stay in the, we'd actually stay in the contraption for hours. And so when we talked to, at that point, it was Michelle Hicks, the actress, 
we uh we approach her as the twins i'm sure that was quite frightening for her to see us that way but um no i don't we didn't really play bad cop or good cop when we do, do the act when we would approach the actors um, um, mike was clearly defined as in the early part of our career he was very defined as the director and i was much more the producer writer of the of the two so i think the actor kind of knew where to go when they needed an answer i'm just watching now my, my computer yeah. screwed up i was like sitting there i wanted to find out you know because I always like to do the chronological order because yeah, yeah. I want to know because you guys, you know, you, you, you were you were also in the beginning, like uh, when you did Twin Falls, Idaho, that was you were sort of in the beginning of the indie scene somewhat yeah, was, because people, yeah. I mean, we, mm-hmm. we know now we think about it, you know, I mean, I talked to people who were back at Sundance yeah. when Sundance was Sundance. independent yeah, movies. Yeah, 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 it, yeah, it wasn't, hey, here's an, a million mm-hmm. Brad Pitt, eight million dollar yeah, project. Mm-hmm. What was it like for you guys? Did you decide just to say, oh, we're not going to go to the studio system? Or did you sit there and say, we, we want to make these movies with our message? I mean, yeah, I mean, I think everyone comes down here wanting to do the big movies. I don't know if independent is something you go, hey, I haven't. It. It's I think once you find out your voice is a little bit more independent than the and it's a little bit more unusual. I think we all want to make the big movies and do the Star Wars and Close Encounters and all those great movies. But when you come down here and you realize, hey, the story I really want to tell doesn't fit that framework. You know, they're looking at box office return and you're looking at just trying to get a movie made um and when you come around and you say look i have a script or a story that i want to do about siamese twins and a hooker it's yeah. not going to go over very well <laughs> in the major studios here so you kind of carve your own niche out with um with trying to say well you know it's going to be independent it's going to you're only going to make it for this much money and you, you know and then you start looking at the resources we're going to play the two actors we don't have any credits we're going to find you know trying to go after an act an actress you know, it just didn't look good on paper to any any name actresses in the sense that you have unproven actors, unproven writers, unproven directors, unproven filmmakers, you know, doing a movie for 17 days about Siamese twins. It looks like a disaster. Right. You know, it, you don't want to go into that car crash. And so you take it upon yourself to there's a lot of uh, learning curve. Well, it's, it's funny because it's such a boot camp. You're learning story at the same time it's your first film and you're supposed to get everything right, you know, and. I'm sitting there worried. I remember the first day of shooting, we walk. There's a bathroom scene, and Michael and I come out of the bathroom, and it's one of the first times we got to put all the gear on, the the suits and the ties, and the, we had the apparatus that was underneath that put us conjoined. We walk out, and we're a little bit wobbly, and I just go back in and I sit down. I'm like, holy crap, this is a really bad like Roger Corman film. You know, this is gonna be like my boy, my Siamese, my boyfriend's a Siamese twin movie. It didn't. I didn't think the believability of the twins was gonna be pulled off. And then you start to realize on the dailies when you start to seeing the fa- that the twins and the silhouette of the two heads and the two arms and we it was where we were placing the camera. You started to believe it yourself. You started to believe like, oh, wow, we're really going to be able to possibly pull off this this movie that probably at the beginning people thought required an enormous amount of effects because you're putting two bodies together. And we did it um, practically with the practical effects with absolutely no computers. Uh, CGI so we were very amazed that we could just the angle of the camera we were able to pull off those characters where did you come up with the story idea because I mean it's something that you yeah. know it's such a different story mm-hmm. I mean mm-hmm. and you, you sit there you're a, and you're a young writer and mm-hmm. so many I think so many young writers mm-hmm. sit there and go hey I'm gonna make something with lots of explosions yeah. and do this yeah. where do you come up with a story and, and do you ever sit there and go wow man this yeah. is really cool yeah yeah I mean I, look it was one of the first ideas we had I mean our first script that we wrote was North Fork and it was about you know flooding of a town in uh, Montana, but once we knew that you kind of had to write something that kind of carved, and I say this to a lot of young filmmakers, is that you, you, to separate yourself 
from from the noise or a lot of other filmmakers, you have to have a unique voice. You have to figure out what's so unique or what kind of story am I going to tell that hasn't been told before. And prior to our Siamese twin uh, story, uh, there wasn't much out there. I think Brian De Palma did Sisters, and there was that had something to do with some conjoined twins. And then up up until that, Todd Browning had Freaks that had some in there, but there was never really a story. Uh, Leonard Nimoy was shopping around the Cheng and Eng bunker, the original ones who saw, coined the the phrase Siamese. Siamese. Um, they were from Thailand. Um, they there was a story, a biopic that was going around them. So people had been kind of flirting with the idea. So people were in this town were very fascinated. Hey, let's see this story, this this kind of idea that always had a freak nature to it. So it was never going to be mainstream. So I think we were able to find a story that was intimate, um, had a unique voice, and was told from an insider's point of view of twins that weren't fused by skin, but were very fused by their soul. I mean, we were very close. And so we were able to share that kind of marriage with the audience and show people this kind of intimacy people hadn't seen before. And it kind of became a metaphor uh, about our relationship and, and, in gen- and in marriage in general. You know, the weaker, the one of the twins is weaker, one is stronger. And it just kind of shows you that kind of how you can be lonely in a marriage as well. And, and you know, it, it dealt with a lot of issues, I think, that were universal. And, and, and the twins were just a very symbolic of that. And so there was a much more relatability that I think people felt could relate to than than. I think originally on paper, when you say Siamese twins, and it's back then, I think it's a little bit changed a little bit now because of the internet and the exposure to kind of abnormally, you know, abnormal things. But at the time, it was still much, you know, this kind of spectacle freak show. So, so when you get it done mm-hmm. and it comes out, what's the buzz? And then, how, first of all, how did you get the title? Oh, because oh, uh, it's funny enough, um, we, we had a, a North American trilogy when we started, which was Jackpot, which is Jackpot, Nevada. I don't know if you're familiar with that. It's like the last town before you leave Nevada going up to Idaho. Twin Falls, Idaho is a town that we'd stay in. And then North Fork is by our house. It's the river. So we named these after North American towns. And so Twin Falls obviously was these Twin Falls that we, we were fascinated with as young kids. And so we were kind of playing homage to the like, American storytelling. And there's yeah. twins in the movie. Yeah, and there's twins in so the movies. And, you know, and, they're, and then when they're discovered, they're on, on a street called Idaho. So um, it's kind of a triptych. You can see it, you know, put the pieces together when you watch the movie. So it comes out. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's and, and what was it? Well, first of all, what was oh, it like? was terrifying. I'll tell you. I mean, we were at, because we, we, we didn't think, first of all, you don't know how believable the twins are. You know, you kind of, we, we didn't have, proper test screenings back then we had a few screenings among the people that were involved everyone really liked it then we we'd submitted it to Sundance and you know it's a long shot at that point and I remember getting back and they were uh, some of the programmers had contacted our producer and said do you want to surely you want to submit this into the foreign films because their last name is Polish they right no we were American <laughs> and the subject matter was so kind of more kind of mature than what they'd been seen and they'd never seen and it was slower and it was kind of painterly it looked more european than what they'd been these kind of american indies that kevin smith and tarantino and everybody was doing this was a little bit more i would say uh had a little bit more art direction than usual for these kind of budgets as we did it for about uh five hundred thousand dollars so once we clarified no that we're american filmmakers they allowed us to put us they put us in american spectrum which was a, a sidebar which was an in-competition, which was kind of fitting because it is kind of a sideshow. So they put us in there. But the way that it was received, I remember Robert uh, Roger Ebert was a big champion of it. Janet Maslin was a big champion. These, these uh, When critics really mattered and they could really uplift a film, 
these critics like those two came out, and a lot of the, uh, Kenneth Turan, I think, was one of them as well, came out and really supported the film, and we got really great reviews. We came out of Sundance completely changing the career and, and the spectrum of what we thought was. It got really great reviews. Sony Classics was fortunate enough uh, picked it up and distributed it, and we, we got a lot, a lot of uh, attention for that film. So when you get you get out, and then you're getting some heat, mm-hmm. and, and once again, it's a, it's a story that's different. Mm-hmm. So now, where do you go as a writer and a director, I and mean, well, just a whole project, because it's all packaged in one pretty much with you guys, where do you go for your next project? Where do you sit there and go, okay, do we, they already think this is sort of like indie, yeah. and then you have to sit there and think, well, it's do we have that in you? I mean, which, which way as a young writer do you, mm-hmm. you want to go in the direction? Uh, I mean, there was a lot of great opportunity when you came off that um, that mountain. There was a lot of um, invites to a lot of rooms that you were, you know, not invited to prior. You know, I mean, I mean Warner Brothers was probably one of the biggest kind of meet and greet we had, and Jeff Robinoff over there uh, brought us in, and he was obviously responsible for for Nolan's career and, and a bunch of young filmmakers. So he he immediately wanted to work with us, and he bought a, a pitch that we did. Um, and then I just, you know, start paying some bills. I started, I took a few writing assignment jobs, one for new line cinema and one for uh, touchstone, which was Disney. And, uh, so you started, you just wanted to kind of get the finances back to work cause you'd spent so much in money. And, you know, at that time, once you left Sundance, we went on a world tour that was pretty amazing. I mean, we went to so many countries and so many film festivals all the way from Japan to Germany, to Brazil, back to Germany, France, a few times. And you released the film as it went. So once you got off of that, you just wanted to make a film as fast as you can. It was almost a almost a year prior promoting it through film festivals where you got to meet a lot of great filmmakers that you admired before. But once we got off that kind of whirlwind of this uh, tour of Twin Falls, we uh, we immediately wanted to get into uh, uh, shooting something. So we shot a real small indie called Jackpot about a country karaoke singer. And it was for about, I think, about 250 grand. And we did it on a Cine Alta Sony camera that they'd shot the 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 Star Wars on, the, the three that were after the three for I don't know, episodes. I think one, two, and three episodes were filmed on this camera. So we we used that, shot that. Again, it was picked up by Sony. But in, the, in between that, kind of we were writing bigger films for Warner Brothers and New Line and Disney. And so uh, it, it was very receptive. I, I, I got to say this town uh, and this industry really accepted us and really embraced us, even though the film was... Um, you know, an oddity and a different message. They definitely saw the humanity and the heart in it and were able to make a really good transition into the studio system at that point. Now, do you think that's probably why they did it? Because they knew that you can write something. I mean, you wrote something original mm-hmm. and something, as you yeah. said, with heart. So basically, if they're saying, I don't know if, it's, if they gave yeah. you a treatment for yeah. something no, and no, said, no. do this. I mean, when you would, when yeah. you said you got some projects, yeah, I mean, yeah. did they think because they, they knew your talent as a writer? Yeah, I think they saw the film and said, well, look, if they could take this kind of odd subject this kind of subject that is kind of taboo. I mean, we're, we're kind of used to it now, but at the time, Siamese twins was kind of an odd, I mean, telling people, Hey, we're going to make a movie about Siamese twins. I remember the look on their face is like, well, we're not making it with you type thing. Um, but you know, it sounded original. I, I think they, you know, at the end of the day, this industry wants originality. I think it gets construed as it gets made and different voices get involved. And, you know, the bottom line always gets, you know, gets in there about money and how we're going to make the money back. But I, I think, you know, their heart is always in the right place in trying to make original content. And when they saw Twin Falls, they saw original filmmaking and how can we inject that into some of the movies and projects that we had. So 
they, they weren't the projects that we were involved in or the projects that the writing assignments that I, I still get still have that kind of how are we going to transition this kind of material that may be a little bit dark or odd and transition it to communicate. It's still one of the biggest uh, either doctoring or whatever they come to me about is like, hey, look, we got this kind of odd message or this odd movie. How do we communicate that properly? And it all came from Twin Falls of how to communicate this kind of strange subject and, and make it commercial. Now, as you were writing more, starting right, I know you had you wrote a few movies with uh, Billy Bob Thornton. Yeah, I did now, now, did you sit there as you were writing? When you wrote, because they always say sometimes write a movie with someone in mm-hmm, mind. Mm-hmm. As you were writing, you get these assignments. Was there anyone you want to really act with, or, or were you involved with any right. of the casting in your early movie besides the first one? Mm-hmm. But with any other movies, do you have any involvement in the casting? No, uh, I haven't been invo- involved with all the casting. I mean, it's all our choices usually. But I, but when I write, no, I usually do not write with anybody in mind because you do not want to get heartbroken at the end of that. Right. And go, hey, you know what? I wrote to your nuances, or I wrote to the way it is. I mean it's nice to be able to write this kind of character. I mean, you kind of play it yourself, you know, being an actor, you kind of fit yourself in those, in these roles. Um, as for, uh, Billy Bob, uh, he came, he, he's just a magnificent, talented guy. So when he came to astronaut farmer, it was one of those things when we finished the script, uh, we shared the same agent at the time at CAA, um, a wonderful, uh, agent. And she read it and she said, you know, who would be good for this? It's kind of out of the box, but Billy Bob would be great for this. And I didn't really quite think of it. And so when I met with him, I, it, it was a great fit to see him as an astronaut. He he because he, he has that cowboy spirit, and that very indie spirit. And I think it you know you got to have that when you're an astronaut. So it worked really well with that. And then I t- sat with him, and then I went back and kind of tailored it to a little bit of of what Billy Bob is and what he would do. That must have been a great feeling also because mm-hmm. for him, someone who did Sling Blade mm-hmm. and all that, so he yeah. he has the same roots as you guys yeah, somewhat. Yeah, yeah, it was great. And I to mean, sit and meet mm-hmm. with him, he probably is one of those people that will listen to the yeah. writer that has the idea because a lot of mm-hmm. times it's probably like, oh, yeah. yeah, this guy's, you know. So that must yeah. have been a great relationship yeah, with yeah, him. Yeah, he still is. And it's he's he's fantastic because he, he, he came from the same school. He came from jumping in front of the camera, behind the camera, in front, writing. He had the same stories, the same ideas, the same things that we all did and he felt like an uncle. He really did. He felt like a relative. And so it was a lot of, um, you know, uh, there's not a lot of talking about the industry and more talking about the craft and a lot about how we were going to do this and what he felt. And it just felt like a family member and it still does. And he's a fantastic, fantastic actor, human being person. I mean, they all are. I haven't had really had a run in with any actor or talent that has rubbed me the wrong way. They're all really great people, and they're all been really fun to work with. And you learn a tremendous amount. You learn, you you constantly learn from these. Because not only when you work with a Billy Bob, or like an Andy Garcia, or like a Nick Nolte, or James Woods, where we're, you're getting their history too. You're getting their their kind of uh, their school or their kind of uh, experiences with the great ones as well. You know, when I worked with um, uh, 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 Andy done this past film. He uh, he'd worked with Francis Ford, and so you get through him, you know, kind of through osmosis, you get what Francis would do, or he tells you Francis Ford Coppola's methods of acting or directing and stuff. So you're getting this. Not only you're getting this great actor, you're getting this kind of experience and this great, great kind of uh, knowledge that, you know, it's kind of in between the scenes of film school that you get from these guys. And and same with Billy. Billy was able to bring such a, ma- a great amount of knowledge about. You know, he didn't really step on your toes as a director or writer unless you asked him. He was really on the sidelines. But when you did want to ask him about, hey, Billy, how would you do this? Or if this isn't working, what would you do? And he'd give you this great, these are great antidotes of 
how you do it. I want to talk about your career, but I want to talk about the new movie mm-hmm. because you know I oh, know. No, <laughs> no well, well, first <laughs> no. of all, uh, yeah, yeah. now it's 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 called Headlock. Yes, yes, yes. And now, now, where did the idea come from? And was it something that? Well, you helm it. You've and I've no looking through your IMDb. Yeah. You've helmed some short documentaries. Yeah, I did. Yeah, I just did a short documentary on the Dallas Cowboys. But um, are you a Dallas Cowboys fan? Yeah, is that unfortunate? I'm an Eagles fan. I hate oh, the Cowboys. Damn. But no, but no. How, now, how Sorry did, about Demarco. Oh God. Well, you know, he ended up being awful. I mean, that was one of those things. I went. I was sitting there going. I remember me and my girlfriend were all excited, and she's a big fan. Yeah. And then when he got traded, we go, oh, we got a fifth round pack. Yeah, but how, well, first, it, how'd you get into directing documentaries, and then how did that lead to this directing this movie? Oh, the 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 directing documentary, the the Cowboys and the Indian, came across. I uh, I when I was younger, when I had grown up a Cowboys fan in the '70s, I was anointed. By the way, it wasn't it wasn't a choice kind of thing. It was <laughs> you know in the '70s we had. The Vikings, the Steelers, the Raiders are all good 70s teams, obviously. You know, they all went to you know, multiple Super Bowls, four or five, all of them. And so my father gave us pajamas, I think when we were six years old, of the great 70s team. I got the Cowboys, Mike got the Vikings, and my other brother got the Steelers. So I slept with them, and I couldn't change at that point. That know? makes sense. No, yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I was I was born into it because we grew up, yeah. t- I grew up 10 minutes from Philadelphia. Yeah, so it was so, a given. But I understand yeah, that because yeah. there's, especially out here, yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, where were you living? I was El Centro, so there was no team. Yeah, I mean, I mean Chargers were, but, you know, they, they weren't really my team. I think they're like AFL. Yeah, 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 they were AFL <laughs> at that time. And so I'd, I'd become a Cowboys fan. Um, growing up, a couple of my dad's buddies would tease and say, oh, the computer Cowboys or the Cowboys are run by computers. And I never knew what that meant. It was, it was you know, it was a little dig on who they were and how they ran their team. And then as I grew older, I started getting information about this computer system that the Cowboys had or this kind of idea that they were using computers to draft or they were kind of figuring out how to equate. And and so eventually, a couple of years ago, I got this article about this Indian that the Cowboys had hired to come over to, uh, he was already in the United States, he was working for IBM to uh, come and quantify their players and figure out how to equate talent and figure out how to do this. And so they'd hired this guy, and and, and eventually, to make a long story short on this, uh, he ended up coming up with a program to be able to evaluate players and draft picks and be able to create those great teams that they had was based on this guy's uh, formula. So were you a documentary fan growing up, or what? Yeah, I did. I liked it. I mean, look, the thirty it was a thirty for thirty, and so thirty for thirties are very, very well done. Wonderful, you know. And so being a Cowboys fan and being able to, uh, you know, uh, to kind of explore what ha- had happened with with uh, this little time and era in the late '60s and computers and IBM was fascinating. It was fascinating to see, and you know, he wasn't well known at, the, and still isn't really well known, and he was such an intricate part to. Uh, a franchise that's worth you know a couple billion dollars today and where and how did that start and you know i'm always interested in, in the, the outsider story and him coming in and and, and coming to texas of, and, and doing this with for the cowboys was it was amazing and he's still alive and be able to meet him and interview him was which it's fantastic to learn that kind of stuff but normally you know i've always liked documentaries. i was the only one i love to be involved in the subject and understand the subject and i, I want to be the one learning at, at the point uh so it would be rare to just pick up a documentary. I wasn't thoroughly interested in the subject. So you did that. You directed that. Now, now, now the movie, Mm -hmm. how do you come into now directing your own movie? Because you, you, you know, your brother directed and you really hadn't directed features and, and you must sit there and it must be first of all, intimidating. This one was, I mean, look, it was an ambitious project to begin with. It was science fiction done on a very low budget. So, I mean, we were kind of going the term lo-fi at the, when we were starting, I, I can only compare it to, and I kept saying, 
if we land this sucker, it's going to be really nice. It's going to be great. But I, I have a feeling that, you know, you have these nightmares. That, you remember when Evil Knievel jumped up the fountains at oh, yeah. Caesar's Palace? You have those nightmares that that's how you're how you're gonna land this. Or, or you don't yeah. want to be the one that the snake the snake man oh, yeah, one yeah, just yeah. went off yeah, the yeah, end yeah, like yeah. And, and you're like wait a second yeah. we waited yeah. to watch that it's on, yeah. it's on Why World of Sports yeah, like, yeah. yeah and then it was, goes yeah. and it drops and we go that's it that's oh. bullshit yeah so I mean the the idea of the film and what the idea of, of this to, trying to do I was trying to uh you know almost engineer of an independent film on such an epic level and do something that was outside the four room drama that we're used to seeing with indies you know how do we do this movie that on on a scope on a bigger value like a huge scope indie because of the technology and what we have now with the cameras and the and the way we can edit on a laptop it, it was going to allow us to do um these multiple countries that we did and we did quite we did 15 and we we have 12 of them are in the movie at the time there's something going on here Oh, that's uh, just, it's yeah. just, it's just the mic. It's, it's, okay. it's not, it's not anything. Okay. Um, and so, so I wanted to be able to write this story. So I kind of reverse engineered a story of how I can make this kind of really big indie or how I could, you know, tell this story on such a, a large scale, but with, you know, a minimal amount of income. And so I constructed the story that centered around two intelligence traffickers, um, set a little bit in the future, a little bit pre-apocalyptic, um, terrorism and things have been really, um, heightened at this point. And, intelligence uh going and retrieving and bringing it back was very uh, very you know trafficking is uh, of anything drugs intelligence is, uh, is very very difficult so we find these two intelligence traffickers one played by me and one played by uh, diana agron um in a very precarious position because in the future they've been able to in this particular future they've been able to harness the power of the brain and it's not a chip in your brain they've been able to figure out you know storage and and where and how to put intelligence in your brain and extract it through optical recording it's all this kind of goofy talk but you know um and so that gets kind of gets them in a little bit of a trouble when uh you know when your brain is your hard drive and it goes down you're going to be in a little bit of trouble and that's where we find them now was 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 were you a fan of that genre when you did it i mean was it something that you said i wanted i mean because you know you're writing different you're writing all over the place Mm -hmm, and you're doing documentaries Mm -hmm. you're doing stuff and so as a writer it must be very uh fulfilling for you because you've gotten to tackle different subjects yeah i mean look at the at the end of the day even though it's a spy thriller or spy fi and all that kind of stuff there's a love story that roots it and i think everything in my all my work kind of goes back to love stories and the love between two people and although it's an intelligence trafficking movie what i'm dealing with i'm focusing more on is the emotional t- intelligence uh, between a- agents and i always find that was so fascinating to know that that they are graded on their emotional intelligence just as much as anything uh, any other skill and so you're dealing with these two people that are in love with each other and they're both married and how do you deal with spies that are in love it's you know i was a huge fan of dr Zhivago growing up i just thought that that scope and that idea was amazing um and that film was very influential as well and i wanted to make a, a love story with spies on something that big but you can't make those movies today you know you just can't there's just not there's not the um the finances or the ability to make, you know, those kind of epic. There is, but there isn't. Um, I mean, my ability and the, my finances, I, I can't quite get on that canvas. But with Headlock, I wanted to explore, you know, spies and then emotional intelligence and, and all that kind of, that love story between two people who can't, are hiding secrets and not telling the truth all the time. Now, when you go to write it, mm-hmm. are you saying, I'm going to be one of the leads? Or how does it? And what, yeah, I and mean, this one particular because I knew what I had, what, what the actor had to do. I knew that we were going to travel. It was an enormous amount of travel, and 
I just knew there was going to be nobody that was going to be able to put up with what, what I was doing. It was an enormous amount of stunt work, an enormous amount of traveling, a lot of very dangerous situations that I put myself into with the cameraman. Um, and I just didn't, first of all, I didn't want to put any other actor in that position. And second of all, um, some of the things that I did, I'd, I'd, I'd done before the motorcycle stunts that I'd done, uh, cliff jumping, stuff that fighting, moving vehicles, all the kind of stuff that I'd done prior, you know, I, I, I knew I could do it. I didn't want to, I just didn't want to harm anybody else. I would have loved to have another actor, but, but at this point, you know, you had to be resourceful. Now, when you're sitting down and writing it, how do you sit there and write for yourself? Because the mm-hmm. bottom line is, you know, now you're carrying, you're, you're the carrying the movie. Mm-hmm. And you're sitting there and, you know, so it's like when you're writing, mm-hmm. are you sitting going, are you, are you sitting there and in somewhere like we're all going to stroke our egos? Let's just say oh, maybe yeah, yeah. like, Hey, maybe, Oh, well, you know, I'm going to do this. Cause oh, I mean, yeah. how does it, I mean, it must be hard to write for yourself. And that's like, let's say you're Woody Allen because mm-hmm. then you know mm-hmm. what he, how he writes for himself mm-hmm. when you sit down and it's a sci-fi genre mm-hmm. and you're the mm-hmm. actor. How do you start that whole process of writing for yourself? I mean, you, don't do research because yeah, yeah, no, it, it's no, yeah. you. Yeah, you know, I, I usually don't start out saying it to me. You know, I, I, I on, on Headlock, I wrote a strict character. You know, I just wrote the character straight and even. This is a character. This is what he does. This is where he finds himself. This is the precarious situation he's in. And then as we get into production, I'll go in as an actor. So I really compartmentalize the, the, the procedure of what I do. I, I'm really writing a screenplay is a screenplay, and you got to be able to write that story. And then when I jump in as the actor, I am the actor, and then I prepare accordingly as the actor. So I never cross, kind of pollinate the two when I'm writing. I don't write and go, hey, I'm the actor here, because I think that'd get really confusing with the whole idea. As I jump into the act, the actor end of it, I'll start working with the, the other actors and start to explore and a little bit of rehearsal with the actors and to try to figure that out. So it's, I really separate the two um, and for the most part. I think it'd be too confusing to be able to, because... There's just certain things the writer, me as a writer, wouldn't do as an actor, you know, and, and it would, to propel the story, you know, like if I was writing and there's a something, I, I look, I probably wouldn't as a writer go, hey, you know, I need to write these love scenes for right. Mark, for Mark <laughs> you know, <laughs> so I, I try to stay out of that. You know? Now, now, what point did you decide you were going to direct it? Because now uh, all of a sudden you're like, all of a sudden it goes yeah, from, yeah, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. when did you decide that? Did you, did you say I want to direct a feature by myself or what? Because you had yeah, done the documentaries. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, um, I, uh, on this particular one, I, I had, I'd done a small film with Michael as a director in, in France called For Lovers Only. It was a black and white homage to like the Claude Lelouch, a man and a woman. And I'd seen how we were able to, to really do this kind of two-hander where Michael was holding the camera and I was in the, most of the scenes with the, with an actress. Um, and so I saw the ability that like, oh, wow, I could possibly direct as well and do this because it's such a small crew and it was so hands-on that I could really turn off the camera, look at the kind of feedback of what what we saw, the scenes or kind of the playback of what we saw and then jump into it. And so I thought, you know, to really mi- minimize this crew that went to these countries, I mean, I was a director, writer, actor, that's usually three people down to one. And so we were able to minimize it to four to four people to travel so i didn't i've done it so many times prior with kind of the back and forth of acting directing or basically in front and back camera that it's kind of became natural it wasn't one of those really conscious things to go oh i'm going to direct and act and it, it was just one of those things where all right i'm in the camera i get to look at the dailies or i get to look at the uh, playback and then see if it works and then move on you know i 
it w- Mike and I would jump so much between our films, between directing and acting, that it just, it just becomes natural. It's not one of those things where I really consciously think about it. So now you have the movie, you have mm-hmm. the script, mm-hmm. and now where do you go? I mean, I'm thinking like oh, for sure. a filmmaker, yeah. where do you sit there? First of all, what's and you have you have you know, Andy Garcia and different yeah, actors yeah. in mm-hmm. it. As you know, you're first time you're you're mm-hmm. directing, you're starring, mm-hmm. you already have all this this oh, on yeah, your head. Yeah, 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 now yeah. how do you? Where do you go to get your money, and then where do you go to get your actors? Um, on this particular on this particular uh, a movie, it, it, I was fortunate enough to I was working with Warner Brothers on a on a project that wasn't going to go move forward. And so another company, Ben Arroyo, was was interested in taking the project away from Warner Brothers and making it themselves. And so I met I'd met with them on this project. Uh, it was a bigger budget kind of heist uh, movie. Um, and so I sat down with one of the executives at Ben Arroyo, and he's like, I like this. This is really good. He, and so we, we're going to package it and go out with it. And I was just going to direct that at that point. And he said, uh, you know, is there anything else you're doing or whatever? Because we're going to send it out. It's a, it's a lengthy process to go get actors and make offers to them and then them read it and then come back and, you know, do all that. So there's a there's a, there's a a time and space that takes a long time to make a movie, a bigger movie. Um, and so I said, I'm going to go off and make this small movie called Headlock. And, and so he goes, oh, can I read it? And I'm like, sure. So you read it. And he goes, wow, this is fantastic. This is a really a nice uh, genre movie. Uh, he goes, but I don't know if you're going to be able to pull this off. There's like 20-something countries in here that you're going to do because it happens so quick. The 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 fracturing of the of the data and the and the environments uh, move so quickly. He goes, it, it it reads big. And I said, look, you give me a million bucks and I'll make it. And he's like, a million bucks. I'm like, yeah. I mean, at that point, you know, you're starring acting in it, and you're like, if I could just barely get a million bucks, I'm going to go. Even if I can't make it for a million bucks, right. I'm going to just say I can't. Um, and so I ended up calling up Jen. I said, hey, Jen, have we got a million bucks? Let's go make this movie. <laughs> Jan is my producer. Um, and and so, look, it was ambitious, but but look, we got to go up from that point on. They're like, look, can you, you think you can get some talent in here to secure this craziness? And I was like, yeah. I mean, there's a big, I, I, I'd written a big kind of uh, anchor role that kind of runs this kind of intelligence agency uh, in the future. And it could have been played by pretty much anybody, but Andy responded to it. And so I sat down with Andy right, right down the street from here. Um, and uh, he had a lot of questions of how, how the hell you're going to pull this off. Because it just read big. I mean, we were able to pull it off, but it, it just read really massive. When you read Germany cuts to Hong Kong, cuts to Thailand, cuts to Marrakesh, when it's in the same sentence, you go, how the hell are they going to do that without green screen? And so we did it all. We, you know, from my days of the practical twins, of the, I learned, look, in, in camera cutting and learning that craft can go a long way than just depending on CGI. So we were able to really execute that. So do you have to go to those countries? Yeah, I went to all of them. So you went to all those mm-hmm, countries mm-hmm. and I mean, wouldn't it have been cheaper just to green screen it or would you hate to do something like that because it takes away from your script? Yeah, it t- not takes away from the script, it takes away from the eyeballs of the actors and the and the, and the threat and the, you know, injecting uh, a, a, a fictional character in a live environment is fantastic when you get to see the you know cars are coming at you and they don't know you're filming it's pretty fantastic <laughs> you know we don't have the money you see it in my eyeballs you see me rolling around in the squares like you know the town squares in marrakesh you see me jumping off cliffs and and different places rolling around the streets in hong kong there's a there's a dirtiness and a filthiness that you that a green screen couldn't get you know none of that stuff can register so to see the sleep deprivation on my face and see the kind of frightening and the fear of Hey, this car is going to hit me, or this car in New York City in Times Square. I, you know, I'd launch my body into these 
situations because he has head trauma at the point we, we meet him and you roll around in these live environments you got to get up fast i mean you got to get up within split seconds and to see that on film registers the energy to the audience that this character is in a very uh messy situation and he has to get out of it and i don't think green screen could have conveyed the enormity of like Iceland. I mean, because it's just because light hits different environments so differently and it hits the suits and your face so differently. The light and it'd be hard to match the light. Uh, I mean, you could do it in CGI, obviously, and but you'd have to do something like a, a big kind of uh, wash over, like one of those big, like um, those movies when they're the big scapes of the big, uh, I'm trying to think of what movies that where they, where they combined all of it and everything is CG. So, I mean, you'd have to kind of take the whole environment and eh, that's expensive and kind of uh, paint it to look to look the same. So I I wanted the the contrast of what I of what Iceland would look like up against Hong Kong in like a in a serious cut. I don't know if you could if you could have got that same effect in the in the, in the green screen. You probably could, but you probably would have had to paint a lot of it. Now, how do you get your locations? Just because it's you're going uh, you're going around the world. It's don't not like ask, don't tell. It, it's not like you're sitting there going, hey yeah, okay, we're yeah. shooting Burbank. Yeah, I can yeah, go here. Yeah, we yeah. go. I mean, you're going around, and it's not like. It's not like you can go there first and scout. I mean, you can't mm-mm, sit there and go, mm-mm. okay, I'm going to go here, 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 scout. Mm-hmm. Do you get someone to do that or do you uh-uh. do it or do you have something in your mind? Do you, have, do you see well, we, pictures? We, or? Yeah, we had some, we had boots on the ground when we landed. So we had some support in some of these places like Vietnam and Hanoi and stuff. So we had people and I do prior work and we'd, we'd look at photos prior to landing there and say, this looks good, this looks good, or and put, kind of mark out a map of where we would go with, with our crew, with our small crew. And then, um, basically just run and gun shoot and go get it i mean we had permits in some areas you know but for the most part i felt that you know i don't i didn't think that we needed the permits or the kind of like attention that a movie production needed we were so small we were four four man crew we didn't need the kind of like go to the film commission pull out the permits do that i mean some of these places that we went like hanoi three or four seconds in the film. I mean, if you can register beyond that it's Vietnam, you're not going to register anything else in it. So I didn't feel like, you know, the, 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 I didn't feel like we had to go and it would have just been so time consuming to be able to go the film commission or we shut down streets, you know, it was much easier just to be like, Hey Mark, roll into the street, get up and let's get out of here. Kind of that run and gun thing, you know? And then if we got caught and which we did on, on a few, a few countries, they were kind enough just to let us go. Now, what was it like working with Andy Garcia as acting with him yeah. too? Because yeah, he's mm-hmm. he's Andy Garcia. Yeah, it's yeah, not yeah. it's not like mm-hmm. it's like you're not you're working with a guy. I mean, he was in The Godfather. Oh, I mean, you know, he's, yeah, he has yeah, such yeah. a. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you know, he's, you see, you know, The Untouchables. Yeah. I mean, just he has this amazing legacy. Just such a powerful actor. Yeah. What's that like with you? One to direct him, mm-hmm. and two. You gotta act with him. Yeah, I mean, yeah it's yeah. the writing. We know you're a great writer. You know he knows that. He, he yeah. took a, he took the movie because yeah. of script. Yeah. But to direct him and then to write him and I mean, what was that like for you? Look, you grow up. Uh, most I came from a small town down here, so mostly everybody I work with, I was either a fan of or just love to be. So just to be in Andy's presence is is amazing. Just to be in his light is is something that I have so much gratitude for. And then to, just to speak to him and hear his experience about the films that he worked on prior and a lot of the films that you know, The Godfather's again. Like you learn so much through them with other filmmakers and. You know, with these actors, these great ones, they're filmmakers at the heart as well. So they know story. Andy is one of these guys that knows story really, really well and the craft he's directed as well. And so he comes to the to to the set with a lot of 
great ideas that you didn't think think about. But then he gets inspired, and he was very inspirational, and we were able to create additional scenes with him. And, you know, to, to act with him, you know, it's kind of like he's the sun, and you just kind of, re- you know, revolve around him. You don't really want to get in there, you know. And so he's the center. You hire him for the center of the universe, and he plays that part really well. And you don't want to tangle with them too much, you know. Same with Billy Bob. I think all these great guys, they they just have a gravity that you can just sit in their light. It's amazing, you know. Then what was it like you directing yourself? Oh, I, <laughs> I mean, that that's always seems weird because I mean, awful. we're we're all yeah. we're all hard on ourselves. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't I don't yeah. listen to my show at all because yeah. I don't want to hear myself talk. I don't want to see if I flubbed something. But here yeah. you have no choice. I mean, yeah, was it uh, was it intimidating? Yeah, it it it's tough. I mean, it. This particular film was tough because I didn't have Mike on the other side. So, and Mike, Mike's a little upset. He'd look at me and just one look for Mike is be like, do it again, or this is horrible. Or, you know, Mike has a great way of like a wink or just like, you know, the hand gesture kind of thing, like do it again, or, you know, that wasn't so good, or we could do some stuff. So I didn't have that support really. And so I kind of had to take it upon myself to do kind of takes that were kind of all over the place. I would do a high take, you know, kind of up there, you know, and then kind of over the top and then I would do a really subdued take and I do kind of one in the middle. I do different variations so I could have that choice in the editorial and that's kind of how I handled it, you know, and then, you know, kind enough, some of the actors would, would, uh, would t- t- talk to me about it and be like, that was great. You know, kind of direct me. I mean, uh, Justin Bartha who plays one of the guys in there, he's, he's also been in the hangover. One of the fun actors, fine actors that was in headlock was really great about, coming to me and giving me that support and telling me very, very, um, with very big heart and kind, kind person would say, I think you should do that this way, or it didn't, it didn't read that way. And so it was very kind and, and you, you open to that, you know, and, and no one was stepping on anybody's ground. And, and, and the same with Diana and, and all these actors, when they, they know you're on kind of the tightrope with them, you're playing, you're in their field and they know you're out. They're very, very kind with you, and they're very kind of like there to help you. It's not a very competitive world when you're in the scene with them. They're very, very gracious people. Now, how long did the shoot take? It was so 15 days, I think, here, right? Correct. It was 15 days in L.A., and then shortly after that, I think we've shot the foreign and everything for about 60 days. So, so when you have everything, mm-hmm. now where do you go? Oh, spaghetti. I mean, you, you know. it's like you sit there. I mean, it must. <laughs> I think we had 14 terabytes worth of footage. I mean, you yeah. Know? So I mean, yeah. you have so much stuff. I mean, yeah. as the as a writer and a director, and now there's a producer coming then and help mm-hmm. you out. I mean, how does it go? She's been there the whole way from the start. And now, how did you? Go, how do you guys know each other? Uh, we'd done pri- prior film. We did we did a, a film called Manure with Billy Bob. We did we did a movie called Stay Cool together. She's produced a few of my works. She produced the documentary that I did for the Cowboys. She's the kind of hands on that producer that I can turn her and she looks into my crazy eyes and just nods yes. So I keep her around for that. <laughs> she, nothing's too crazy for Janet, which is amazing. You know, she just wants to figure out how to facilitate the dream and the vision and how are we going to get this done? And how do I, how do I help Mark's voice get to the screen or how do I get that? And that, that's someone you really need that kind of backbone because it gets twisted along the way and you do get beat up and you do lose your way. And so there's someone there always in your corner, you're kind of your cut man. That kind of cleans you up and puts you back out on there. And that Janet's been great with, with this. This film has been particularly challenging in a lot of areas, that from finances to time. And we really, this is a very, very ambitious project that we we feel very good about. Um, and there's just been so many setbacks along the way that we've looked at each other and we're like, okay, let's get back up and let's do this. You know, um, there's, it's, it, I've never been with a project this big, and this time-consuming, and 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 
this challenging. And so it's been great to have her along the way. Now, as a writer and a director, mm-hmm. because you're two different hats mm-hmm. and you have all this material, mm-hmm. are you sometimes, does the writer in you say, oh, I want to keep this, mm-hmm. and, but the director oh, yeah. says to you, you can't mm-hmm. keep that. Oh, God, and yeah. then the director yeah. in you goes, I want to keep this. Oh, and yeah, the writer's going, screw that. Yeah. And even the actor I go now, the actor's like, that doesn't look good. Yeah, so how do you, how do you <laughs> juggle that? I mean, because it's, it's bottom yeah. line, it's, you have to be subjective, yeah, but it must yeah. be hard to do oh, that. Yeah. I mean, that's what it's medications for. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, it's very difficult. And that's why you have like a Janet in the room or an editor in the room and everybody can be, you know, objective about it and say, hey, Mark, I think this is your best acting and this is the best visual of it. And so you have, it's very collaborative. I mean, I do get a cut that is very much my voice, but then I do show a lot of people because I want to make sure, hey, this is what we're doing. And, you know, because of the time constraints and because of the financial constraints, some of the stuff is very limited to what we could have chosen and what we could have done. And so there isn't a lot of opportunity to change scenes or do a lot of things. But when there is something, you know, I'm constantly double checking with Janet or Carrie or Brian, the editors that are on this and saying, you know, honestly, what do you feel about this? Or showing it to other people outside and saying, what do you feel about this scene? Does this look or with my wife or, or with my kid or going, honestly, tell me what you think and getting that real honest feedback so I can go on. I mean, it's, 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 look, it's, doing a film like this or any film where you're all those kind of heads of state with you're the director, you need to be vulnerable and you need to be open to getting really your ass handed to you and saying, you know what, that doesn't work. And, and you know, and, 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 and taking it on the chin and going, wow, I thought everything I was doing was right. It was all wrong. You know, because you're in your head so much and you're up and you are doing all those three things. So you have to be you got to have a healthy, healthy, healthy uh, ego, you know. So when you get it done, now your movie's done. Mm-hmm. Now what do you do with it? Cause it's not you, done. So, so it's not done. So what, I mean, <laughs> yeah, where are you where, at? Where, where, where the VFX part of it all. Okay. So it's VFX heavy where it didn't intend to be as heavy as it is now. Um, we the, It just kept expanding into a point where, you know, uh, the infrastructure and the support needed some of this this kind of idea to it was so big that we kind of needed this kind of scaffolding of vfx to support what we were doing and so we've had to go back in not really go back in as we're putting it together find the areas that the vfx can support what what we were trying to do and so we're 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 near the finish line we just keep getting these little setbacks but we're we're gonna get there now once you get it Mm -hmm. done Mm -hmm. then what do you do with it we'll probably have some type of um screening among the people that were involved you know probably the representation will see it and then we can take a take a shot of what what we feel i don't know if it's a film festival movie like my prior movies that i you know i usually uh, sundance or tribeca or one of these film festivals that i usually debut in uh i don't know if it's one of those if it would play well maybe toronto or something that plays a little bit more commercial stuff so i think it would be a collective conversation we'll all have we'll all watch it and say uh no one should see this or everybody should see this (laughs) Now, you get it done, mm-hmm. and now what direction do you want to go in after this? Because you put so uh, much in yeah, I mean, yeah, Do you yeah. want to sit there and go back and say, hey, man, oh. I'm going to direct and write oh. and star again? Or are you going to say, hey, mm-hmm. man, I'm going to chill out and write? I mean, where do you want to go now after you know, you've got this? I don't know. I, you know. I've never been married to the kind of outcome of any of these movies. I've kind of like put everything I had, my sweat, blood, and tears in it, and it kind of goes off, and, and people respond to it, or people you know, have a, a, a positive response, and that's great. I, I, I love the response of, of someone coming up to me in the store or whatever saying, hey, that movie that I that you did changed my life or that movie is amazing. I get that quite a bit, which that's that's a critique that, that keeps you going, that you love that. But 
as of now, we're just closing up this film. I have a, a TV series at Showtime that um, I'm fortunate they were fortunate enough to uh, pick up uh, a, a pitch that I had. So I've been working on that, and it's promising to think that hopefully we can get this thing to series. But it's a it's I a hope because nice you know. I have Showtime. Do you do? I watch. Oh, nice, I watch. Yeah. No, I always look yeah. at. I, I always watch different shows. Yeah. And and that's what I think is great is now for mm. filmmakers mm-hmm. and writers like you mm-hmm. that. Because of Showtime, because mm-hmm. of Amazon, mm-hmm. because of Netflix, oh, yeah. you guys can really come up with an idea that that the network's going to say no way, but then the other networks are going to say, like the major, the other yeah. ones going to say okay, yeah. and when they say okay, that means lots of Emmy nominations. Yeah, what's great about Showtime and this kind of new kind of arena with Amazon, you've seen a lot of the indies filmmakers go into it. They've allowed us to have a landscape to really play with our voices in in that area. So it's almost become the kind of new indie playground where the films aren't they're hard to make and they're even harder to distribute. But if you can get a TV show, then it's almost like making an indie every week. And they're allowing you, when I went in to kind of uh, pitch this idea to the network, to these kind of what they're called premium channels like HBO and Showtime and stuff, it was amazing how responsive they were to my voice of what kind of TV show I wanted to make and what I wanted to do. If I wanted to make a TV show, how I would do it and how responsive they were. And that was, that was awakening. I mean, it's been around for a while. You'd seen a lot of filmmakers go into these cable and TV shows. So it's, I'm, it's nothing new, but it's obviously new to me. And so I, I went in there and uh, Showtime had the kind of had the best, uh, not, not response. They had the, the most positive uh, response to possibly getting on the air there, you know? And I think it must be great because you'd like, the, the uh, you know, yeah. <laughs> you're, you're, the one, the movies yeah. you've done before. Mm-hmm. Now this is a point where it's like, you can actually take your time because yes. they're so, saying, yeah, yeah, hey, yeah. you don't yeah. have to have this done. You don't have to go to 22 countries. Yeah. Here's what we do. We shoot yeah. it at a studio. That must yeah. be very exciting for you. Yeah. And you probably something you'll excel at because you don't have the pressure. Yeah. I mean, look, the the, the budgets are uh, are very healthy on these shows. Um, and you get to you know stay in one place and you get to uh, use all the magic tools that you get with the, with the with the money that they give you. Uh, it's it's going to be an interesting uh, collaboration with them. I'm really looking forward to, to, you know, at the end of the day, because of the binging that people have, so you're really just going to make, whether it's 10 episodes at half hour or, or an hour episodes at 10 hours, you're really making a long form story. So because people binge watch these right. things, so you're really, it's a lot, if you look at it that way, you know, Showtime's going to allow me to make a five-hour movie. And who doesn't want to do that? That's just amazing. Now, are you going to act, too? No, no, no. Okay, no, so no, you're not, no, I mean, no, so no. so, so you, you'll, no. you'll write and direct and create. Yeah, yeah, I'm going to create. I mean, like, eventually, if it, you know, if it goes into um, an, a, a place where there's multiple seasons or something, I probably would act one of those seasons or something. But not when we're getting off the ground, it, there's to run this thing to be able to creatively get the voice in there and get everybody intact, you're going to have to have a clear vision. It has to be a little scary, just because it's it's it is a whole. You're going through a new brand new experience, yeah, I mean, a new the, forum. Yeah, I mean, when you're doing just the pilot, which we're doing now, it's so jam packed. It's almost worth a fight. It's almost five seasons worth of story in that pilot, you know. And so you're doing so much, and you're compacting so much in this pilot, so that if it does go, you have multiple seasons just based on that pilot. Every character has a line, and you know you, you're going to know where these people are going to go by the by the end of that pilot. You're either going to say, I want to see these characters for the next five years, or I don't want to see them. And so there's a lot of crafting going in on that pilot. Are you shooting the pilot now? 
Oh uh, no, we're just we're just starting to write it. Okay, so mm-hmm. but so and so you don't have any stars connected? No, or? no, 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 right now. So we were, I mean, we're circling a few people that they they think is good. It's it's Latin based. It's based on the border. It's called Frontera, so it's based in Calexico, California. So they're very excited about being able to finally do a a show that uh, about a, a you know community that's very underrepresented on on the TV and in films in general. So. We're, very, we're all very excited. My mother's Mexican, so I, I kind of had it in on that. Well, that's good. So mm-hmm. we only have a few minutes left. Yeah. So 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 you have the series mm-hmm. going. You're also doing your movie. Mm-hmm. You're finishing that up. When do you have free time to do anything? I mean, I you don't. must be spinning. I mean, you took I an don't. hour to come here, which yeah. I'm happy yeah, about. Yeah, no, I don't. I don't have much time. But, you know, I, I'm living the kind of, you know, I, this is what I chose to do. And, it, you know, every waking hour is living the dream in a sense, you know. And so it's 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 been an amazing journey this far so so much from the time we made Twin Falls to now I mean I, I don't really consider it work you know I, I really don't have much conflict in the business or the, a problem with the way the business is run I'm kind of an outsider of an outsider they let me do what I need to be done and they distribute it I get along with a lot of the people so I, I haven't had the the conflict or the kind of derailment some people have as filmmakers it's been a it's been a, a really great time and I every, every day I mean we're, we're Jen and I are going to leave here and go look at special effects and see all the kind of good stuff that the artists did. And I mean, that's a good day to be able that's, to see all that. That's stuff. awesome. You know, I mean, you sit to get there, do all this stuff mm-hmm. and, and you have someone with you who, uh, mm-hmm. who's here. Now, do you ever work with your brother anymore? Yeah. I mean, we have a few things that we're, we're still doing and stuff. I mean, at this point, you know, when you grow up together and which we did and we, we shared a very unique vision as your visions grow and stuff, it, you, you, you change a little bit and you know, he's got his and I've got mine and eventually we'll come back together and make some great stuff. Now, now, do, are you are you a social media guy? I am. Okay, I well, am. let's give this because we have a few minutes left. Let's give all your information. Oh, all that because oh, on Instagram, it's just simple Mark Polish, nothing fancy. And what what can we find on there? Uh, on on my personal Instagram, is there oh, cool pictures? Oh stuff? yeah, yeah. Well, all the behind the scenes stuff, okay. you know, personal stuff. Some family, I'll follow you a little right bit of family, show. a little bit of family stuff here and there. Um, but and you know, I like to always spread uh, or like communicate art that i find or pictures that i find and talk and uh, and on uh twitter it's his squadron of which is his underscore squadron underscore of which is kind of a homage to henry darger i don't know if you know what henry darger is i don't um, um uh so there i communicate everything that i'm doing and then obviously headlock has both instagram uh i think it's headlock period movie on instagram and then on twitter it's Headlock underscore movie right. on Twitter and those you can keep up to date on all those things. Cool. I want to thank you for coming I, in. I, I appreciate it's it. It's fun. Really I, you know, anytime you have a fellow uh, October 30th guy. <laughs> yeah, right. Fellow, and then there's two of them yeah, and yeah, one yeah, of yeah. me. So yeah. we could we could be taking this damn world over. Yeah, but but should, people, yeah. please go check out check out well, go to IMDB and check out Mark Polish and guess go look at go watch from his old movies. You know, yeah. he's got acting, he's got writing, he's got directing now. He's a cowboy fan, but he's a real nice guy, so I won't <laughs> hold it against him. <clears throat> you can follow me on Twitter. It's at Cooper Talk. That's at Cooper Talk. Also, go to my website, coopertalk.net. I have over 490 episodes. You can also send me an email at cooper at coopertalk.net. Tell me what guests you want to see. Uh, if you want to be a sponsor on a show, I have great <laughs> rates. I'm played on 13 different stations, so you can check that out. So you can do that. Uh, Twitter, as I said, at Cooper Talk. Uh, Instagram, Cooper Talk one iTunes and Stitcher. It's Cooper Talk, one word. You can hear my gigs on those. And also, if you have a, a Android phone or tablet, go to the Google Play Store, type in Cooper Talk, one word. You can get my app. And then don't forget my other website, StopTheSalt.com. Remember, uh, God, it was like almost four years ago. I was in the hospital for five days with a bad ticker. And when I got out, I had to change my lifestyle. So I made a cookbook. So when you people want to be healthy, it's easy. It's good for just not even being healthy, just eating 
good meals for inexpensively and easy to make. They're all healthy. There's no pictures. You won't get it. You won't get intimidated. Ingredients, basic ingredients. If you don't have cumin, don't worry. You don't need cumin. You go to stopthesalt.com and you can get it. You can get it at Amazon and Barnes and Noble, but if you get it there, I make less money. So go to stopthesalt.com and I will sign it for you and I will send it to you. So please check out Mark Polish on IMDb. Go check out his work. Follow him on Twitter. Follow him on Instagram. I'm Steve Cooper. I'm only as hip as my guest. Don't forget, drink your water, eat your vegetables, take your vitamins, and I will talk to you guys all next week.